and welcome to the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. And I'm Ollie Hunter, not Simon Clancy, in for the indomitable Simon Clancy. As always, joining us is editor of Gridiron Magazine, Matthew Sherry. Matthew, how are we? I'm, I'm wonderful, Ollie. It's great to be with you. Um, disappointing that Simon isn't here, but we've managed to get the best possible replacement. Oh, you are too kind, honestly, honestly. Thank you very much for inviting me down to do this. I love the show, so it's a, it's actually a real honour. Um, not going to lie, I would have preferred it to have been Simon and not you. Um, I know that's a, <laughs> I know that's a bit harsh, but hey-ho. Uh, I just don't have enough Simon Clancy in my life. So you don't, and you're not going to have any Simon Clancy in your life on the trip this year because he's he's coming on the separate trip with me in a week's time. See, I think the college aspect of that trip is is actually really really good. You're seeing some great college ball. My side of the trip on the west coast, okay, I'm seeing some good college ball, but it does it. It's not it's not the big house. It's not state college. It, I'm one of the reasons maybe that you got me to do this is because I love college football. The last time, well, the first time I went out to the States, did a a tour from um, Chicago up to Green Bay, then to Canton, then across to Pittsburgh via State College. And the only game we managed to catch out on um, on that tour was Penn State versus Michigan and... Wow, what a game that was. It was four overtimes, it was a oh, whiteout, wow. it was 107,000 people. Well, you did the whiteout game. I didn't realise you'd done the whiteout game. That's incredible. It was the whiteout game. Brilliantly, no one had told us that, that it was the whiteout <laughs> game. So I've turned up in my England, Red England shirt, uh, looking proper foreigner. Everybody else is in white. I'm in an England shirt, really embarrassed. If only there was a white England shirt. Uh, if only. Had I th- <laughs> if only there was a white... You know what? They should do one of those, given what the flag is like. So, yeah, we did, uh, we did that tour, and, and Penn State is it's just amazing being there. And I know you're going... What's the game that you're going to see? Well, we go to see Michigan against Penn State, but at, at the big house, and then we, with the following week, we're at Michigan State... Ohio State. Oh, right, so okay, okay. I, th- I think the exciting part for us is, and we'll get onto the Big Ten in, in this podcast, is all of those big, big Ten games now have huge implications for the playoff as well because Michigan need to keep winning and Ohio State need to keep winning. And the dream scenario is those two teams meet on, I think it's November the 24th, and what you'll essentially have is is their side of the Big Ten on the line, but really the Big Ten title because you would expect them to beat whoever comes out with the other side, but then also a potential playoff berth on the line. So for us, it's all of those games have serious Big Ten and playoff implications, which is exciting. And you're going to, I think it's the biggest sports stadium yeah. in the Western world, isn't it? You've got the, I think there's a, a huge one in North Korea or something. But I mean, allegedly. Allegedly. Knows. Who knows? Who knows how big <laughs> that really is? Um, that's what she said. But it just... Uh, it is amazing to go to Michigan, and I know they're actually playing great at the moment. We'll get on to the the the, the derby, the, the Michigan versus Michigan State derby, filled with controversy during and and after the game, uh, during and before the game as well. But uh, I'm going West Coast. I'll be seeing Stanford Cardinal. I think it's against Oregon State, and it's whereas it's not the Oregon team, it is a different Oregon team. But Camp, uh, Stanford are a real kind of 
one of those old school schools out on the West Coast. Christian McCaffrey, one of my favourite players to come out of college football in a very long time, is the standout player from there in recent years. What kind of what kind of experience am I going to get going and watching college on the West Coast? I mean, I think Stanford's an interesting one, largely because it's. I don't think you'll necessarily get the partisan crazy tailgating that you would get in in in, a, in kind of the what you'll have experienced at Penn State, I guess. But um, it, it's it's around different types of people. It's around kind of intellectuals, and that's that's what the program is as well. I mean, the reason Stanford, with a great coaching staff, really can't ever crack the the college football playoff is because they could only recruit from a pool of about 1% of people on the planet because you have to be Stanford smart to get into that football program and being Stanford smart is not easy. So it's a different type of vibe there. Are you going to UCLA as well or are you going to a game in LA? Yeah, we're going to see the USC-UCLA derby, a game that I saw. It's at the Rose Bowl, the legendary Rose Bowl. Oh, that's awesome. I saw it two years ago and Sam Darnold and UCLA just... um, uh, sorry, uh, Sam Darnold and USC really turned up. And I thought I had it in my mind that it was Josh Rosen. It wasn't Josh Rosen um, that that was on the other side of the ball for UCLA. But the tailgate before that, I've never seen drunkenness and debauchery of, uh, yeah, of that I sort. Yeah, I I mean, maybe the last time I saw it was when I went back to Norwich for New Year's a couple of years ago. <laughs> Honestly, it was... I know where I'd rather be out of Norwich in LA. 100%. And it, it, amazing in Pasadena, the Rose Bowl. You just... It's its a vast stadium, but just college ball is great. You've got the two bands, you've got the the, the two sets of kits with... the They played in their, in their respective home uniforms as well. So the blue and yellow for UCLA and the gold and red for USC. It, it, it's a great occasion. I... I'm did, I'm really looking forward to going back and seeing those those two teams. That, that as well. could that could be a really interesting game as well because I mean Chip Kelly had a really bad start this season, but they've won a couple of games on the bounce, and actually those couple of games came after after improved performances in some more difficult games. So for example, that they nearly they, they hung really well with Washington the week before that. So I think Kelly is starting to pull it together a little bit there, and USC are beatable. I mean USC lost at home this week to Utah who are now firmly in kind of the Pac-12 mix as well. So, yeah, that could be a really good game as well. A rivalry game that could be close is always fun. You've got a great track record now, Ollie. You've done the wide-out game. Yeah. I remember you coming back from a Texas Tech game a couple of years ago telling me about this kid called Pat Mahomes, <laughs> who it turns out is pretty good. Yeah, so, yeah. It was, I, think he, I think he slung five or six touchdowns he ran in for another one. So, yeah, the Texas Tech game was amazing. Went over to LSU to see LSU versus the Razorbacks and a really thrilling ending. And some of the great things about following college football, especially if you're in the press, you get to you get to be on the sideline, which is incredible. Yeah, for, the, Just, for the last like ten minutes, for the last ten minutes, and then if it goes to overtime, you're basically on the sideline, and, and it, that's amazing. One hasn't gone to overtime that I've been to as a member of the press yet, but college football. And I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're already invested in college football, but if you can get out to the States to watch some college ball, it's just incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. I mean, I I often see people plan NFL trips without a college game in, and that's such a big mistake. Like, because it's just such a... I mean, I always was a huge fan of college football, but it wasn't until we went to Alabama LSU and Mississippi State LSU, and we also did a... um, 
We also did the uh, East Mississippi Community College title game, which is the school from Last Chance U. Yeah. And we did that and Mississippi State Bama in the same day. And that day just made me fall in love with it even more, to the point where genuinely I've been more invested in the college season this year than I have the NFL season. It's just, when you get out there, you realise it really is the heart and soul of of the US in terms of in terms of sport. So... You you got to experience that. I mean, the tailgating is is a different level, and and it, it, there's a there's a vibe and atmosphere around the stadium that, and I've been to some pretty awesome NFL games, be it Super Bowls or championship games. But I feel like that vibe around the stadium is something that is completely unique to college, and I can't really describe it. It's one of those things where you need to be there to experience it to, to understand what I mean. I think it's rather joyous. I think there's there's obviously it's partisan, but you're right. I think the lifeblood and soul it really does run through the entire community. I went to LSU Baton Rouge, which is a couple of hours outside of New Orleans, and it, it does. It is the entire the the entire town. When you go to Penn State, you well when I went to Penn State. The state college is 30,000 people. The the stadium is three times bigger than the actual town. And people come in from miles and miles out. And because these colleges are so huge, the alumni really buy into it. And you see it, actually, you see it on NFL players' Twitter profiles that they'll list what alum they are first before they are actually a, a Green Bay Packer or an Oakland Raider or something like that. So I really, it, it, it does. It stays with everyone their entire life if they go to that college. And I think, actually, if you go and watch a team, because there's so many college football teams, and it isn't quite the same as the NFL, You, as as a fan over here in the UK, you end up following that team and, and their results. Yeah. And you can have five or six different college teams that you like. And that could be because you've been there or your favorite player came from there. Like Tom Brady was at Michigan and you went and got that jersey, that number 10, that iconic number 10. And or, you know, I, 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 you get the merch and the merch actually is ridiculous as well. SMU. I forgot. How could I leave out SMU? Went to SMU. Colin Sutton, man. He's doing well. Colin Sutton. I spotted him when I went there. They got smashed by Navy. But he was the only good point on SMU's side. And I've followed him throughout his career now. And he's uh, he's starting to make waves in for the Denver Broncos. So I just love it. I love it. I can't wait to I can't wait for Saturday where we can um, watch all of the games or, or, or and the big games on ESPN play, which is a superb product to have as well so that you can follow everything back here. And then just in it just just going out there is just it's just great it's just great right that's enough of me banging on about my love of uh, <laughs> of college ball it's been 10 minutes and uh, we haven't really talked about about much football so far do you want to start with the with the rankings because there were there was movement mainly a lot of teams going up both on the AP and the coaches poll but there was a huge team that dropped out of the AP top 10 and dropped to number nine from the coaches' poll. Yeah, and I think this is the point of the podcast where we really start to get into the rankings because we're, we're, we're a week away from the first college football playoff committee rankings. So we, we now start to really look at the, at the coaches' poll and the AP Top 25 and try and get a feel for which way the committee's going to go. And I, I think the big question at the moment is we've got LSU 
at number four and Michigan at number five. Now those two schools are pretty comparable in in that they've got they've got some really good wins. Now Michigan have have now got some good wins. LSU have probably the best wins in in the country. Um, I would say Michigan has the better loss, which is on the road to number three, Notre Dame, by just seven points. LSU, though, has a good loss against the Florida team, who sit number nine in the top 25. So those are the two that I think this time next week, both of those teams are on buys this week. So this time next week, that'll be the interesting thing to see which way the committee goes on those two. But um, you mentioned it, and we mentioned it on the podcast last week, the big move this week is, is Ohio State down to number 11 in the top 25. And that's because we called an upset last week, or certainly I called an upset last week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow my own trumpet on this one because I just saw this one coming. But I didn't necessarily see coming what happened, which is Ohio State went into Purdue and were absolutely blown out. I mean, it wasn't a close game at any point. It was 49-20, I think, in the end. And all the problems that we mentioned last week with Ohio State, which is their running game, Traditionally, the bedrock of an, an Urban Meyer team has, has been really bad. Um, Dwayne Haskins actually had a really good game again, but we've seen as well with Dwayne Haskins, if a team can really put pressure on him, and we'll get onto this in a few weeks when they play Michigan, he looks susceptible as well. And then the defence is just bad. I mean, they've got a lot of five-star talent on that defence, but they're not playing well. And I watch this game closely because I want to know what's going on with the defence. And I mean... You looked at it and Purdue just looked faster, which we know isn't true. I mean, athletically, Ohio State is better than Purdue. But I think, I think I'm think i a big fan of Greg Schiano, the defensive coordinator. But I think a little bit of its scheme. I mean, there was a lot of... They do a lot of exotic stuff pre-snap, which is kind of getting the linebackers up to the line of scrimmage and and then and then pushing them out at the last minute. And and the idea is the the opposition doesn't know who's coming. And it's something I see a lot because the Patriots do it in big games. And Chiano has a lot of links to Bill Belichick, and I I wonder if that's it. But it doesn't seem to me like Ohio State can execute it. And and what you're getting is blown coverages. You're getting wide open guys, and then just some really basic stuff. I mean, last two weeks you've seen. You've seen the, um, the the best offensive skill position players on opponents covered by safeties and linebackers. They're just not hanging with them. So I think a little bit of it is, is scheme with Ohio State. And then finally, I wonder how much of it has to do with the Urban Meyer scandal. Because this team has looked worse since Meyer returned. I mean, they actually started the season quite strongly with Ryan Day. And you wonder how much credibility has Urban lost in his own locker room after... After essentially covering up domestic violence with one of his assistants, mm. so so it's not good for Ohio State at the minute. And and frankly, I'd, everybody's looking at the Michigan game, and I definitely am. But I wouldn't be surprised if they'd lost another game by then because this game had been coming, and they lost so comprehensively. I mean, this was not a close game. It it was it was an awesome night for Purdue. I mean, we saw the 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 kid there who had who had the bone cancer who's yeah, kind of become the... you know and 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 that was really galvanizing for for the team i think and it i, I watched the 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 entire fourth quarter last night in preparation of, for doing this for you because obviously that was the big that was the big result and i was so impressed with everything that Purdue did really and f- you know the the um on offense the way that they use decoys to just disguise a run up the middle from DJ Knox who had a, a huge game and I, I I think this game did wonders for him looking ahead to whenever he'll be drafted but the 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 defense the offensive looks were 
was so different and they managed to negate with the pace of Rondell Moore, who I think looks a really good player for Purdue as well, the the, the little receiver, um, that negated the linebackers coming up to the line of scrimmage or, or just behind. And they were completely blown away on offense. And then if you turn it back on, on and turn it around and the defense, I thought the defensive coordinator for Purdue did an, an incredible job of mixing up the looks and, and disguising what they did on defense. And, Dwayne Haskins, he, he just couldn't cope. He couldn't cope with what he was being shown. And I don't think there was any leadership either on the field or off the field to do to deal with what Purdue were doing in the entire game, be it on the field or the other storylines around, you know, the, the, the kid with bone cancer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... The, the 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 cancer scenario and what a symbol he's become is is big. I mean, we see that a lot with with these emotional storylines acting as a real kind of driver for a team. And and it felt like that Ohio State ran into a bit of a buzzsaw there. But the main thing for me, I mean, you've mentioned coaching twice, three times in your breakdown there. This was a real coming out party for Jeff Brom, who is the yeah. the Purdue head coach. I mean. Everybody kind of thought of him as the next guy to get the big job. I mean, he's been linked with Louisville a lot because he's he's, he's from that that area and that program and, and and big links there and 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 that makes a lot of sense. But if I was him, I'd be thinking about staying at, at Purdue. I mean, he's building something here. I mean, you, you mentioned Rondale Moore. This this kid is a true freshman. He he runs a a four three forty apparently. He looks absolutely electrifying, and he was a four star recruit who they managed to get in the building. And, and and that's because Brom is really building something there and they're doing better and better each year and the recruiting rankings and people are seeing this guy's a great coach and I just thought this was a big statement game for him and I, I read an interesting piece on him um, earlier in the week and I mean Purdue started this season 0-3 having ended it with, with pretty good expectations and they lost their opening game it was the first game of the season um, against Northwestern in a really close game and, and Brom actually admitted he said after that game, I got really, I got away from what I am, which is an ultra aggressive coach, and we saw it in this game with the fake field goal uh, and everything else. And he, and he said, I started a coach tight, and, and they ended up on three. And then I think it was Missouri that lost the third game in that run two in a close one. And he said he, he got the coaching staff together after that week, and he basically said to them, "Look, we are going to change what we're doing here. It's time to go back to what we are, which is an aggressive team, and it's paid dividends. I mean, they've won four straight games. You look at the four games they've won: Boston College were unbeaten in rank at the point when they beat them. They won at a Nebraska team who've improved, blew out Illinois, and now have blown out Ohio State. So there's not a team who could have wanted to face them. I mean, they've got Mississippi, uh, Michigan State this week." On the road, Purdue could win that game again, and 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 frankly, they're starting to roll. I mean, the three and one in the in the conference. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Purdue in the Big Ten title game. I really, really wouldn't. I mean, the, the, they've got Wisconsin at home, which will be the deciding game in that. And I think they're on a roll now. And what a game that will be against Wisconsin because they haven't started the season particularly well. A, a, a traditional team that you'd expect in the top ten perennially year after year. They haven't played well there's some for Purdue 1984 was the last time they beat a top two team and that was Ohio State 1999 was the last time 
they beat a team in the top 10. Uh, it, and, and that was Michigan State. That was Breeze and Co. whipping Nick Saban's defense or defense back then. Just amazing. And there was a really great story. Marcus Bailey, the linebacker from Columbus, Ohio, got passed over by Ohio State. 15 tackles and a pick six. Just amazing, amazing, amazing. It was a, it was a great game to watch in, La- in West Lafayette. And I love... Little bit of kit watch, why not? Uh, the the black and gold yeah, was, is just awesome. stunning, and and I, it, I love any kit with gold on me as a general rule. Yeah, but I think I think gold needs to be the um, it needs to be the secondary color. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It it looks a bit eggy. Um, oh, no, maybe yeah. the, maybe the San Francisco 49ers, that those pants don't look too bad uh, on on the yeah, gold. Yeah, that's true. Okay, the, the, it's very it's very CFP, isn't it? So one day, if they ever got there, they would be very on brand. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. Where do you want to go next? Do you want to do? We've got either LSU and the big storyline with uh, Devin White, or the the controversy with Michigan and Michigan State. Should we go Michigan let's, State? Let's, let's go Michigan State, yeah. Michigan, simply because of the, the the kind of ramifications it has alongside the Ohio State game, which is that Michigan. Michigan ended this season under a cloud of they never win in the big game. I think uh, um, Jim Harbaugh was one and six against Michigan State and Ohio State, and that one win had actually come in a year when Michigan State finished two and nine. So, so Jim Harbaugh's had a lot to prove coming into this year. It didn't start well, a, a road loss to Notre Dame, but this is a very different Michigan team now. I mean, this was as dominant a twenty-one-seven win as you can possibly have. Um, Michigan State had less than 100 yards of offense, which is ridiculous. I mean, completed five of 25 passes, and it's two weeks in a row they've done that to a, to, to a decent quarterback where they're completing about 20% of their balls. That's how good this Michigan defense and pass defense is. Um, the only reason Michigan State scored any points is... It was pretty really special, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it, and it, the only reason they got the ball there is it started to hose it down, so Michigan actually fumbled on their own 10-yard line and, and State recovered. So, so yeah, I mean, I think the big the big takeaway from me, if you're a Michigan fan, is one, you've won a big game on the road, which is key because they've just not been good on the road even this season, but this was a, the first dominant performance on the road, which is huge given that they play Ohio State on the road in a few weeks. But two, I think this game was 7-7, late in the third quarter. And as a Michigan fan, I'm looking at it thinking, I've seen this so many times before in the Harbour era. Dominant performance. A team's been allowed to hang tight. I mean, Michigan had the ball in, in Michigan State territory in about five drives in the first half and had seven points. And then Shea Patterson, the, the, the transfer quarterback, former five-star recruit, who really has changed the face of the programme this year, drops back, 79-yard touchdown pass to Donovan Peebles-Jones, in the bucket, it's a great throw, the kind of throw that none of his predecessors in the Harbour era make, and that breaks the game open, and from there, Michigan State can't move the ball, and eventually there's another drive down the field for a touchdown. So, Michigan, to me, look, I mean, in the last few weeks, they've looked as good as any team not named Alabama in college football. I think they've, they've given themselves a lot of work because of that opening week loss, but... I mean, I could see the brood on the table and get into the playoff now. And I, and I actually think people should want that to happen because I think they, because of just how good that defence is, I think they can give anybody a game. And I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say the same about some of the other teams in the in the top four mix. I think Michigan are 
they're rolling and, and it's finally happening in, in the Jim Harbaugh era which is nice I really like the look of Patterson actually he he was good standing in the pocket He's he looked really good stepping up through the pocket he made a really nice pass down the sideline kind of across his body as he's rolling right as well so he's he's obviously good through the air he, he, he was decent on his legs as well in escaping some of the pressure so I liked him what did you make of what went on pre-game now Michigan State have a ritual of walking pre-game uh, across the field all arms linked but they turned up late to do this so the Wolverines as they're, they're they're allowed to do were on the field taking the surroundings getting used to their to where they're going to be playing in in the next couple of hours so uh, as they walked across the field Michigan State across their home field they ran into some of the the Wolverines players after the game. Harbaugh called it a, a stormtrooper routine, and it was bush league. He called it bush league. Um, afterwards, after they they'd passed through some of these Wolverines players, um, one apparently was knocked to the floor. Some others had their headphones removed from their from their head, and then that led to Devin Bush, the linebacker, using his cleats to scuff up and rough up the the Spartan. Uh, logo at midfield it was all rather unedifying yeah it was um i mean i loved it personally because i mean you want these rivalries to be like this i mean i think that this is what makes college football great the rivalries are, are really fierce and a lot more fierce than nfl rivalries and that's what's cool about them um i mean it is true this video of of, of i think what harbour was annoyed about is Mark D'Antonio, the head coach of Michigan State, was stood behind them while this was going on, smiling, while there were clotheslining the Michigan players. So he denied that, but there's video of it. So, um, I mean, that's a little bit ridiculous. You would like the head coaches to be above it a little bit and maybe just the players to be involved, but it makes it fun, doesn't it? I mean, Michigan had a bad record against Mark D'Antonio's Michigan State. There's, there's some real beef there. Harbour and D'Antonio went back and forth on social media a little bit last year as well. So I love it. I mean, the rivalries in college football are awesome. And give me more of this WWE style drama. I think it's I think it's good. People talk about it, and ultimately, it's still settled on the field, and it was, um, and and there was no contest. But yeah, I loved it. You know, I, I'm going to agree with you. I thought it was a, <laughs> I thought it was fun. I'm just I was just. I was doing the whole, let's get a, a line from Matt Sherry. But you're right, the the rivalries are great. And actually, other than some of the NFC East rivalries in NFL, that's what sets it hugely apart from college football from the NFL. You get these long-standing rivalries, close um, in interst- intra interstate games. And, and these rivalries have been going on for decades and and I love it. Let's move on to another huge talking point. LSU who sit just one place above Michigan in both the coaches and the top 25 rankings. Uh Devin White target, targeting penalty of course LSU beating Mich- uh, Mississippi State 19 to 3. Uh Devin White targeting penalty in the second half. He has to sit out then the first half of the next game. They're on a bye this week, their next game is Alabama. What did you yeah. make? What do you make of one of that rule? But firstly, of I think a pretty tough call on the field. Yeah, I don't mind the rule. I mean, it's it's the way it works is if it happens in the second half, then you miss the next half of the, the first half of the next game. 
the, the decision's a joke. I mean, it's just not targeting. The, the, the kid has his arms out, he, he pushes him to the ground, and then as a byproduct of, of pushing him with force, because you need to do that to get him to the ground, his, his helmet makes contact with his helmet, but it isn't targeting. He's leading with his arms. It's... It's so infuriating because they don't have any way of, of, of appealing this. So it, he is going to miss the first half of that game. And I feel like Alabama always get these breaks. And I mean, maybe that's just... I mean, as a, it's kind of what people always say about the Patriots. I support the Patriots in the NFL. And, and I guess that's just you get a little bit sick of one team being so dominant and you, you, you take more notice of that team so you notice things more. So that's probably not true, to be honest. But it's a great break for Alabama because LSU is really rolling now again. I mean, they lost at Florida, but in their own house, they've been so good this year. This was another dominant win against a team who who haven't had a real blip, were a little bit resurgent and won two big games on the bounce. And Devin White's their best player. I mean, along with um, the safety, whose name I always forget, who I mentioned on the pod last week. They, they, those are the best two players on defence, so it's a massive blow. And, and even more of a blow when it's a ridiculous decision. I mean, I don't know what you think, Ollie, but it just isn't targeting. I'm stunned when they review that in the game that they can uphold that call. I just think it's ludicrous. It was just a, it was a, a little push. And the funny thing is, you could see that being given if it was at Miss, Mississippi State Stadium in front of a baying crowd there. But it was a, at Tiger Stadium in in Baton Rouge. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. The referees weren't pressured to make that call. It was like, I, I don't get the call. It was a really weird call. But that LSU defense is absolutely legit, isn't it? And Yeah, it's awesome. And... and- and the thing with Alabama is, I actually think that their defense is more gettable than it's ever been, even for an offense that's quite limited in LSU's. I'm really interested to see how LSU play it next week. And I don't want to preview it too much because obviously that'll be next week's show. But it's going to be really fascinating because I I can't wait for that game. But that's it's just annoying that that's such a big blow. I mean, LSU was awesome in this game again on defense. They were just... They're just so suffocating, especially in their own building. It's it's hard work to play against. Mm. And they've been a surprise package. But the problem that LSU have now is having lost in Florida, that if they'd have beat Florida, they could have afforded now to lose this Alabama game and probably still got in the playoff, whereas now they need to win out and it's a tall order without Devin White. It really is. Um and frustrating, I mean targeting now to, to loop us on to the other game that we were going to talk about. Targeting has become a huge storyline in this season because Washington State, who who won a big game at the weekend against Oregon, the game day cameras were, were in Pullman for the first time ever. And, and Washington State really answered the bell. They were awesome in that game and handled the Oregon team coming off a huge overtime win against Washington. Um, I mean, their only loss now is to USC on, on the road. And in that game, right at the end of the game, um, there was a there was a missed target and called, and this was the one where they later found out that the decision had been made by a non-referee. I think it was by the commissioner of the Pac-12 or something ridiculous in the video booth, and not a, a referee. So they didn't give the target and call in that game, and that would have made it first and ten at like the USC ten-yard line, down three points, a chance to either tie or win the game. And what happens after that? They miss the the game tie and field goal. So. 
targeting now is we'll see how it impacts this game but it's starting to have a massive impact on the season because they're getting these calls wrong and it just feels like in football whether the NFL or college officiating is too big a storyline it's too too heavily involved in in the biggest moments in the biggest games and and right now it's casting a little bit of a shadow on this season because Washington State unbeaten could well be in the CFP mix now you think because they're in the Pac-12 even if they win it with one loss they probably have no chance of getting in and that really isn't fair I mean, you then go on to the whole argument of should the college football playoffs? I know they were they were they were introduced a few years ago, but then should they be expanded to six teams? Should they should there be more of a more teams that make the playoffs so that you can include yeah. some of these these other leagues, these other divisions that aren't as well thought of? I think eight teams would be perfect. I think I think a system of um, your five division champions, um, your one. One team from a from kind of outside of the Power Five programs. I think the best of the rest should get a place, and then you have your best two other teams. I think this is the year where the conversation starts to happen because if Notre Dame get in, that's that's another conference that isn't getting in because Notre Dame are an independent school. So that that means that two minimum of the of the Power Five are going to be on the outside looking in. And it could be more than that because we might see two SEC teams in. If LSU beat Alabama next week, then LSU or Georgia are going to win the SEC, probably, or maybe Florida. That team, whoever wins the SEC, gets in. Mm. And then do you leave Alabama out as a one-loss team who's lost in Baton Rouge but dominated everybody else? Almost certainly not. So you could see a scenario where literally only um, two of the conferences are represented this year and if that happens I think it expands immediately and it's a huge money spinner it's just more playoff games and yeah. take the place of of these bowl games that really mean nothing unless you're in that final four the bowl games are immaterial almost so it's more money more revenue more TV TV ratings more sponsorship it just it, it makes so much sense but college football resisted the, the, the final four for such a long time and it, you could almost see them doing it this time as well. I just want It's to quick- baby steps, isn't it? it? I mean, it'll happen, yeah. it's just a matter of when. I just want to go back very quickly um, to the LSU game. Nick Fitzgerald, the Mississippi State quarterback, he had a dreadful game. How much is that kind of performance going to affect him leading up to the draft? Because he yeah, was I mean, one of the whole, top... Uh, Top quarterbacks in the whole class, season, His whole season affects him. I mean, we, me and Simon were really high on this guy, um, maybe because we were at the game last year and he nearly beat Alabama. But, yeah, he's not had a good season. And I think everybody thought the mix of him and Joe Moorhead, the new head coach, who was the uh, Penn State offensive coordinator, would be a good one. But it just hasn't worked out. And, and yeah, he's taken backward steps to the point. You're now looking at him as potentially a day two, three a developmental guy when you thought if he has a really good season this guy could work his way into the into the first round mix but yeah it's not been a good season and this was I mean he just looked he just looked all at sea against against a great SEC defence in LSU yeah he needs to bounce back next week and Cole Tracy cash a little bit of hashtag kick watch 4 for 4 on the field goals 21 out of 23 on the season he's 20, 24 consecutive PATs as well I'm not really going to send this to you back to you, but when you see all of the problems that the kickers in the NFL are having, this kid will definitely be picked up by some NFL team next year. Uh, by the way, I love the call in the Washington State Colorado game. Three fifty to go. They're seventeen to thirteen up on the Colorado twenty-seven. It's four and five, and they go for it 
they get the touchdown to put them out of reach. It was a it, it was a sensible ballsy call in your own house, but that's the kind of thing that you don't see enough in the NFL. That kind of that kind of um, gamble, I guess. Yeah, and it feels like when you do when you do see teams try and do that, they get absolutely slated as as Tennessee now are. But yeah, awesome call by Chris Peterson at Washington, and um, they still they they now have two losses, Washington, so they're still in the mix for that Pac-12. Although playoff, which was their aim before the season, is definitely out of reach. I just want to get your thoughts. I know we need to look ahead, start looking ahead to the games that you can see on the ESPN Player, fantastic app, um, and and and. Uh, uh, brilliant to to catch all of your college football games and highlights and and the 30 for 30 as well but uh, the top two teams Alabama and Clemson where are they at big game big win for Alabama but we should be used to it with two or two I'm not I'm not going to try the second Tungav- well Tiger Lancelot calls of Tungavailoa but it's actually Tagavailoa Tagavailoa is, is Tagavailoa yeah so he four touchdowns on the uh, on the day, he looked really great. Jalen Hurts comes in, throws a pick six with his first attempt. He's yeah. he's now going through a procedure for an ankle sprain, so maybe that's a, a blessing in disguise for him because Tua has just taken his job completely. And uh, Clemson doing well as well. Yeah, that, that I thought both looked great. I mean, Alabama, you're expected. I, I put that game on thinking, well, Tennessee have just beat Auburn last week. Let's see if it's a game. It was 28-0 after the first quarter. And I'm fairly, I think it was 21 after five minutes. It's it's an absolute joke. I mean, Tua now has thrown like 25 touchdowns, no interceptions, 2,000 yards. It's just incredible. I mean, he is the best college quarterback I think I've ever seen. The He's guy a- is... He's out of this world. It's the throws he makes as well. I mean, it's not just numbers. It's some of the plays he makes are spectacular. I'd urge anyone to to pop on the app and just watch the first touchdown. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't take long to get there. It's the first drive of the game. And it, absolute joke. Just a ridiculous throw into the corner of the end zone. He ended the game with a knee injury. I mean, the guy is out of this world. He was awesome. And Cle- Trevor Lawrence was awesome for Clemson as well. A guy... Ollie, I think we're all invested in because yeah. me and Simon told you about us seeing him in high school last year and, and the hype that surrounded him. He's won the job now. It was his third game as starter. First game thrown for over 300 yards and Clemson really handled an NC State team who were number 16 and unbeaten coming into the game. It was it was a great performance from Lawrence, especially I think that was the first team to hold them under 100 yards rushing, but Lawrence stepped up and, and delivered the performance that was needed. So those teams very much on collision course again for the in the CFP. Going back to to Tua, I don't know what it is. Maybe because we don't see that many of them, but a left-handed quarterback. Yeah, it's awesome. It just it? it looks great. It's a bit like what you know the Steelers. They have just the 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 Steelers logo on one side of their helmet. It's just something different, and it looks yeah. it looks really cool. A little bit of NFL kit watch for you there, but um, <laughs> I just a left-handed quarterback it, he looks so graceful when he does it it just he's so good to watch and you're right and Trevor Lawrence as well that the poise that he has for a guy what's it his his freshman year just um, yeah, just freshman year. just amazing 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 stuff four days like no other a festival like no other for a bookmaker like no other bet Fred 
Get up to £40 in free bets when you sign up using promo code CHELP40 and stake £10 on any Cheltenham race. Bet Fred at the heart of Cheltenham. 18 plus, new UK customers only. Available from March 6th to March 13th. £30 free bets credited within 10 hours of first bet settlement. Extra £10 free bets credited if first bet loses. Full terms at betfred.com slash promotions. Keep it fun. BeGambleAware.org. Hey guys, it's Devon Sam here from LucasAid Sports Podcast, running the show. Check out this week's episode where we get to meet the one and only Anthony Joshua. Oh my goodness, do you think he wants to be friends with us now? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he told me that he wants to link up and have a bit of sparring. Yeah, sure he did. So head to all your podcast providers and click subscribe now. Also get in touch with us at LucasAid Sport using the hashtag running the show. You will not regret it. Penn State, it's the first college game I went to see. They they managed to scrape past, I think, Indiana, but I I actually rather like Trevor McSorley in this game. He looked kind of decent on the ground. I don't think he's going to make it to the NFL because I think he's a little too small, but Penn State getting a few wins, but they'd expect to be doing better in in the Big Ten, shouldn't they? Yeah, they've been... They've been a real disappointment now this year. Um, I mean, the Ohio State home loss looks worse by the week. Um, and that was a game that they really should have won. And, yeah, I mean, they, they weren't great in week one against Appalachian State. Losing to Michigan State at home was was a joke. Um, and, and it's a real waste of, of a kid in Trace McSorley who is, who is really the ultimate winner. I mean, it, a guy who... You hoped in his senior year they could ride all the way to a national championship, even with a even with a, a young team. I mean, it's a talented team. Yeah, it's just not being good enough, and and you're looking at it really now being a very average season because you'd you'd be fairly stunned if they went in and won in the big house in two weeks' time. Um, I mean, that could rescue their season if they do, but I'm not sure that they will. Um, so yeah, it's not being good, and and they don't look good on the field. I mean, it's not like. It's not like they've even been that dominant in, the, in these most recent victories. The, the, it feels like the air was sucked out of the season when they lost that game to Ohio State, and, and now it's just kind of, it's kind of just on we go and try and try and win as many games as we can without any real enthusiasm surrounding the program. But yeah, McSorley's an interesting guy. I know Simon thinks he could be a, a Taysom Hill type weapon in the NFL, um, which which would be interesting to see. I actually think he's got more of a chance than that. Um, but I have a real thing for any quarterback with who shows any degree of kind of moxie. So mm. that's that's always what I look for. But yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a waste of a, of a real winner, a quarterback in in his final season. I, they were dreadful against the run. Some of the the touchdowns that I saw that Indiana scored on the ground, Penn State had no clue where it was going. They they couldn't block up front. Uh, uh, they couldn't. Uh, um, make any penetration up front to, to stop the run. I, I thought they were dreadful. There's a big win for Oklahoma against TCU. Iowa, uh, they beat Maryland. Yeah, Iowa are playing well. They're, they're, that's a big game this week. They're, um, they're, they're, they're playing, I think, the, the best football in that side of the Big Ten, and then they've got, they're at Penn State this week. So that's a massive game. And, and, and frankly, if I, did, if I had a bet right now, I would put my money on Iowa in that one. I think that's an ESPN player game that people can watch, and I would urge them to do so. That could be a really good game this week. 100% I'll watch that, 100%. Shall we move on to week nine 
in the NFL. Uh, in the NFL, I take that back. What a disgrace I am. Week nine <laughs> in week nine. It, I'm sorry, it's it, it's too much working on the, on um, our sister podcast, the Gridiron Show. But um, should we go to week nine in college ball? That we've got a Friday game: Baylor versus West Virginia. I've seen Baylor before, actually, in that game against um, against Texas Tech, and uh, yeah, they weren't good. But what are the standout fixtures? You you mentioned. Penn State, Iowa, anyone else? Um, Clemson, well, Florida State are dumped to the fire, but anyone else, any other teams there that you, any other games that you like? Yeah, I, I quite like Clemson, Florida State just because it's it's at Florida State, uh, it's in Tallahassee, and it's the five o'clock game, so I think it's the best game in that window. Um, that's another ESPN play game. Florida State are a bit of a dumpster fire, but they've actually got a little bit better the last few weeks. I mean, I think Clemson will win, but it could be a little bit more interesting. And it's it's another one. We mentioned FSU, Miami a few weeks ago. Those traditional good games are always fun ones to watch. Um, I mean, the big game this weekend is Georgia-Florida. I mean, Georgia's season is now on the line in, in every game that they play. And this is certainly, I, I think, the most difficult game on the, on the regular season slate left. Um, it is... I actually thought it was in Georgia, but I... It's in Jacksonville. I'm reading here that's in Jacksonville. Yeah. So yeah, I've got that wrong in my head. That's yeah. Well, I mean that's that's now we're massive game because those fans are. That'll be a, that'll be a crazy atmosphere. So that's at the uh, that's at the Jag Stadium. So that's going to be. Oh, that is even harder for Georgia than I thought, and that will be a better win if they actually pull it off. I don't know why I thought it was in Athens, but um, yeah, that's the big one for me. Um, Dan Mullen is ahead of schedule, I think, of Florida now. Um, that loss to Kentucky doesn't look anywhere near as bad as it did in week two because Kentucky are a really good team. But I think Florida are now absolutely rolling. I mean, they were down early against Vanderbilt last week, which which looked like the classic, oh, well, you've just beat LSU and now you're going to lose to Vanderbilt. But they actually roared back and won that game really handily. So I think it's a huge, huge game, this one. And I'm really looking forward to it because I think Florida are going to feel like they have the formula to beat Georgia, which is a powerful running game and a great defense, and I think that's what that's what it was shown. Georgia struggled to handle when they were beating in Baton Rouge, and it's a big game for everyone. It's a huge game for Jake Fromm, who continues to start and rightfully so, because I don't think Justin Fields is ready yet. The the kid who came out with Trevor Lawrence, but if he has another bad game, there'll be fans calling for Jake Fromm not to start, which is ridiculous for a second-year player who will probably be a first-round NFL pick, but that shows the depth that Georgia have built. It shows the expectations that have built there now. All these great recruiting classes have people believing Georgia should be a, a CFP team every year, and the only way they can do that is by is by beating this team in a, in a crazy environment, because like I say, those fans are, are actually quite unpleasant. I mean, there was a, there's a... There's a there's a video from the Jags game last week of a of a um, Jaguars fan essentially knocking out an old yeah, man horrible. who was a Texans fan, and they're not. That is not a pleasant environment to go and play, and it's quite an intimidating one. So that's that's a really tough challenge for Georgia. I think there's some, there are a couple of other really good games on at that time as well. So if you um, you've got Kansas State, they're hosting Oklahoma in the Big Twelve. That's that's in Kansas and. Uh, in the in the American League, South Florida and Houston, both of these teams have pretty good records as well. So, what out of those two in, it, it excites you? 
And I think I think the the one you mentioned, the South Florida one's interesting. I mean, South Florida are a team that we've barely mentioned on the podcast, but are, are having a great run now under Charlie Strong and Houston. It's always fun to see them this year, just because of Ed Oliver, who will go to the NFL after this season and be um, and be potentially a top three pick, almost certainly a top three pick. So that game that game really interests me from that standpoint, seeing how they deal with Ed Oliver and. And, and just seeing if UCF, USF can keep it rolling. So, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating one. Uh, later on, you've got Texas A&M taking on Mississippi State. What has happened to, to A&M? I know they're 5-2. and two. They had a, a poor season last year. There's been a coaching change, hasn't there, as well. Are they on the way back to a bit more of dominance in, in a state which is obsessed by football? I mean, Jimbo Fisher and Dan Mullen are doing great jobs. They're, they're kind of too big head coaches who were hired this year. Um, Jimbo's doing great. I mean, I, I really didn't see this coming from A&M. I thought, I thought both them and Florida would have really tough opening years for the coaches and, and people would immediately start asking why have we given this guy so much money. But yeah, I mean, Texas A&M have been awesome. They were the team who knocked off um, Kentucky. They were the team who really came very close to knocking off um, knocking off Clemson at home as well. So... Yeah, Jimbo's doing great. And I mean, I think the exciting part for, for college football fans now is that you can potentially see a route to these teams really starting to challenge Alabama in the SEC. So you've got Georgia now, LSU look back, A&M look like they're going to be good under Jimbo. Dan Mullen looks like he's going to turn it around to Florida. And in the last couple of years, I don't think you've necessarily had that. It's been very much complete dominance of the SEC from Alabama. So... All the signs point to an SEC that maybe is going to be a little bit more competitive at the top end. It's always a really competitive division, but the last few years it's felt like it's been competitive in the middle class with Alabama that much better than everybody else. And maybe we're starting to see some some coaches who, if not on Nick Saban's level, can certainly pit wits against them week to week. Yeah, Kellen Mond is uh, chucking the ball around for fun. I, I like what he's doing there. Notre Dame at 7-0, and take on Navy. A big win for Notre Dame, expected there. Texas Longhorns, they uh, they host the Oklahoma State. And um, Oregon are hosting Arizona. Now, there's a bit of news out of, uh, out of Oregon. Justin Herbert, some thought of as maybe one of the top QBs I think the first overall pick. Well, there we go. The first overall pick, he is likely to stay at school for his senior season. What's going on there? Uh, Well, uh, what's going on there? This is something else that we've actually tipped on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. His his brother is is currently being recruited by Oregon. He's going to join the program next year. And, and he's not played that much football, Justin Herbert. He's been awesome, but he didn't play a huge amount in high school. And then... I think he's only played about 10, 11 games for Oregon. So it makes sense to me. He wants to play with his brother. He isn't that experienced, so he gets a little bit more experience under his belt. And frankly, based on what we've seen from Oregon this year, there's there's every chance that this could be a, a CFP contender next season. Mario Cristobal's done a really great job in his first year. Oregon, they, they've always recruited well. I mean, which kid wouldn't want to go and play in... I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that training facility, but just look it up online. It's astonishing. It looks like something that you would imagine a spaceship to look like. It's absolutely <laughs> out of this world. It's unbelievable. So, And you've obviously got those great kits, the, the sponsorship deal with Nike. The the, the, the founder of Nike is, a, is an alum and, and throws a lot of money into the program. So why wouldn't you want to go and play at Oregon? And I think 
yeah, I mean, they're, they're very much a, a contender next season. So I love the decision. It's great for college football to have certainly a team in, in college football's weakest division who you look at and think, oh, actually, they could shake up the CFP next season. So awesome. And, and on the Pac-12, I think the final game I would mention this week is is Washington State-Stanford. Washington State really need to follow up that, that huge victory against Oregon. And um, they play a well-coached, well-drilled, and a good Stanford team this week. And I think that's a, that's really a game to watch as well. What do you make of Gardner Minshaw? He has thrown for the second most yards from the Division One schools, 2,745. He had a really good game, four touchdowns against Oregon last week. Is he NFL ready or are we, he's not allowed to commit yet? Um, yeah, I mean, he's a senior. So it, he's a great story because... Um, he he was offered by Alabama this 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 year. He was a transfer. I think he was at East Carolina before this. Alabama wanted to bring him into the into the building to be basically a graduate assistant who could be a backup quarterback. And Washington State then offered him, and he's been incredible. I mean, and he's put himself in the NFL frame. I don't think he'll be a high pick, but I could see him being drafted. This is a really intelligent kid. As I say, Nick Saban wanted him to be a young coach who he thought could mould into an outstanding coach. But instead, he's gone to Washington State. He's thrown, I think he's thrown the same amount of touchdown passes or one less at the moment than he threw in his whole career at East Carolina in this season alone. It's a, it's an incredible story, this. And he's been fantastic. And I mean, he's actually been better than... Luke Fark was a really good quarterback for, for Washington State. And we mentioned last week, Washington State ended this year under such a cloud because Fark had gone to the NFL. Tyler Hilinski, his presumed replacement, actually committed suicide before the season. So yeah. it, it was a really it was a really dark time for Washington State entering the season. And, and this guy's come in and been, and been really the, the, the brightness in the program. And, and Mike Leach has done a great coaching job. We all, we all really love Mike Leach. And, and this is what he does. I mean, he turns kids like... Gardner Minshew into into great quarterbacks because of how much of a of a quarterback whisperer and, and offensive genius he is. So yeah, one of the great storylines, and this is what this is why we love college football. These kinds of storylines, you get them to a lesser degree in the NFL, but it feels like guys come out of nowhere every year and go from literally nobodies to household names. Grant Delpit, I think that's the the. That's LSU safety. safety. Five is, interceptions, yeah. interception leader as well. Yeah, I, I remember seeing. I remember seeing him last year, and he he looked great then. And I think, um, yeah, he's going to be quite a, quite a force. Uh, Matthew Sherry, I think we've run out of time. I think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover, or I wanted to. In 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 any case, is there anything else? Any any other games you want to look at? Any other news? Uh, any not, other I'm things you want to talk about? I'm not going to describe it, but Old Dominion, who we talked about... Um, of course. Because they beat Virginia Tech. I just want people to leave this podcast and go and look up how they got their second win of the season and just analyse the <laughs> team who have won two games now. And, and it's just ludicrous, the two games that they've won. So I'm just going to leave you with that. I'm not going to tell you what happened. Just go and look it up and find the last two minutes of that game and watch it. I can't believe I forgot about that because I actually did go and look at the last two minutes of that game and it's 100% worth it. So go and do it, everyone out there. Go and um, get an ESPN player. It's a fantastic product. Really keeps you up to date and um, gives you everything you need if you're a lover of college football. So go and do that. Matthew Sherry, I've, I've had a wonderful time talking to you and should Simon Clancy or yourself be off I'd be happy 
to uh, to to step in again. We'll we'll happily have, have you, and we will almost certainly get in touch with you guys while you're in the US and just chat to you about your experiences at the at Stanford and at the Rose Bowl. Great, thank you very much. Well, this has been the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. Thank you very much, Matthew Sherry, and uh, we'll see you again next week.